and welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Arr! Yeah, out here in the wild. Yeah, that's right, we're from locations unknown. <laughs> we cannot reveal to where we're coming from because it's a secret. And it yes. wouldn't be a secret if we told you, but wait, we already did. So. It is the secret base of Allegedly Mike. So. Yes. <laughs> so speaking out here in the back porch, so you're going to hear some wind and some fun noises. So hopefully you enjoy yeah, listen to that beautiful sun. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can expect no less from the bottom shelf of gaming hooch. Uh, yeah, the bottom shelf liqueur of gaming podcasts. Oh, yeah, all right. It, it's better than Pop-Off and Mohawk, maybe. But, no, 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 no. It, it, it's, it's not maybe as good as uh, Pop-Off or, uh, Mohawk. or Mohawk, but it's definitely better than drinking lighter fluid. That's right. <laughs> We'll still get the job done, but uh, you're going to feel rough afterwards. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Oh, man, this is the stuff that'll mess you up. The Everclear of gaming podcasts. Oh, boy. Woo, 200 proof. Lighter fluid, indeed. <laughs> all right, so, hey, with those analogies put behind us, welcome, podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Traveler, the tra- March's Adventure, number one, high and dry. We're going to be covering this series as... We uh, get it and play it, and we're going to be giving our thoughts on this adventure, the specific module. We're going to do a dissection and some points and tips for running it, as well as some criticisms. Yeah, there there are admittedly a few criticisms, albeit very gentle ones. Uh, you know, the the overall stance here is that this is a pretty darn fine product. Yeah, it's new stuff, and that's what we want to be covering is. Uh, this is, of course, for Mongoose's uh, Traveler 2nd Edition, which, surprisingly, there's very little edition wars in the Traveler. Uh, one of our uh, good listeners out there, you know who you are, is doing a Traveler podcast, and we want to help with uh, promoting some Traveler. But there's very little uh, edition difference. It's kind of like Call of Cthulhu. It's I mean, like if you played a 3rd edition type adventure, had it sitting out on the shelf for a while, you can pull it out and play it with the 7th edition. It doesn't really matter. Well, I do want to say that the Edition Wars does not strike quite as hard in the Traveler community because it is a slightly, you know, let's admit it, it's a smaller community. Uh, The fandom for Traveler is robust despite its small size. The enthusiasm is there, so you rarely see this enormous rancor when uh, a new edition is released. And in fairness... Pretty much all editions of Traveler have, I, I think they've stayed close to the original core material in concept. Oh, yeah. I mean... You know, there have not been radical departures. Like, oh, hey, you know, we pretty much rewrote everything from scratch. No. That, no. That has not happened in the Traveler first. Yeah, there's... Uh, Traveler's second edition is a little bit more survivable, but, you know, that's kind of because... Uh, I think is when the game was first envisioned... There were probably, it wasn't as play-tested as well, I'm not saying it was flawed, but it could be very lethal because your endurance was your only cushion. And in later editions, they began experimenting with different systems. I think they used like the Twilight 2000 game engine for Mega Traveler, and other such things like that. But we're not really here to talk about the edition wars, just how calm is that everybody is when you start talking about new stuff. So we're talking about the Traveler 2nd edition here, but you can play this easily with Traveler, any edition of Traveler. Yeah, this is not a hard translation. Uh, you know, uh, not, yeah. 
not as steep a uh, alteration pattern as, for instance, the, the gap between uh, first edition D&D and fourth or fifth edition. Uh, you know, there, there's a big curve there. Not so with Traveler. So March's Adventure 1, High and Dry, uh, it's pretty accessible. Yeah, and in this one, it's it's for a starting campaign, and it's set in the Spinward Marches, which anybody who has been playing Traveler for a great deal, of, or at least the getting started, the Spinward Marches are a very open setting for all kinds of adventures, from corporate intrigue to military operations to, well, just about any type of science fiction or spacefaring adventure. Of course, it also, because it's a frontier area, offers a lot of latitude to game masters to introduce their own material. But in this one specifically, uh, there, I'll just read in the back blurb here, they're given a ship which they can explore the galaxy, which is basically what everybody wants to start Traveler with, is their own ship. And you may have characters like a scout or a merchant that starts with a ship already. And this could be a problem using this module. But we're going to focus here, if you have a scout, uh, this ship, the high and dry, as it's presented, is nominally going to be used as theirs, and the scout service sends the player characters there to retrieve the ship because it's under some uncertain or dubious previous owners who aren't living up to their obligations. Yeah, the scout service in Traveler is considerably less like the military than, for instance, the Imperium Navy. Uh, in Traveler, the scout service is at... I, I can't say... If you can imagine a merchant marine service that is focused almost exclusively on exploration, charting, and, of course, the term scout for a reason. You know, they're, they're the advanced people. They, they go, they have a look, uh, they take measurements, they get readings, and they come back. Uh, yeah, they do a lot of surveys structured far less intensely than an actual military service. So, uh, it is entirely understandable that they might get some people who get very comfortable in their role and don't take the best care of a ship. And so here you have the high and dry stranded on another planet, and you've got your introductory characters who are being lined up very nicely to rescue or recover a ship for the scout service, which will then become, in many respects, their principal reward for this adventure. Yeah, so that's the hook. So it's primarily a scout ship. Now, if you have a trader or somebody who has acquired a free trader, a much larger vessel, and you can still send the players on this to salvage materials from it, like the sensors. Oh, sure. Or the engines, which are a higher caliber than can be found on most others. So there's a salvage rate that could be offered there. And yeah, so that's I mean, the initial hook, is like when a lot of characters are, uh, muster out of their careers, they have a chance to get their ship. So if you have a scout, this is an easy module to fit in. A little less so, but requires some work on the Game Master. I would suggest if you're running this and you have nobody who's in the scouts or a service like the scouts, uh, because I kind of look at the scouts and Mike's analogy is kind of like the Coast Guard. They perform a lot of secondary roles that are invisible to most people. Surveying, uh, cataloging new planets for colonization, testing out the waters and seeing what's uh, in that biosphere, if it's a hazardous or uh, if there's potential predators or things you have to be on the lookout for. Yeah, cataloging. 
all the info that is available on a newly examined star, or also cataloging everything in a complete system. Yep, so if you have uh, a previous uh, a ship with a larger tonnage and you want to incorporate that, there are some things in the high and dry that can be salvaged, so you can use that. It requires a little bit of work, and they didn't mention that very much in the introduction, which I think is a little bit of a shame because it puts a lot of emphasis on having, an, a, having a scout. I do want to mention the uh, DM idea moment that should you have a party that has already acquired a vessel, uh, one of the chief ways to make this still an entertaining intro is to make the real value, uh, you know, try to indebt the player characters in some fashion. Yep, uh, have a hook. Like, you know, you can't really afford to get started in large-scale mercantile operations using your free trader, uh, but... A rescue op like this, recovering a ship, could build you enough of a grub stake to start your little... Yep, you can get a salvage bee for it, and maybe there's something like the engines or the sensors that could be utilized. Yeah, little, you know, those those useful components and the, the high regard of the scout service uh, with commensurate rewards is a nice way to entice people who already have a vehicle, but the linchpin point in luring people into this is that high and dry uh, is intended to be the start of a you know, campaign arc. This is a series of books and this intro will line people up nicely to launch into the next chapters which we'll, we'll get a chance to look at those when we've got those in our hands. Yeah so just to start out here there's going to be spoilers so spoilers alert there will be spoilers. Yes. Alert. Alert. Spoilers. Spoilers. So if you plan on playing this with your group, this is probably not the podcast for you to tune in. Containment direct, breach. As Seth Zorskowski says, direct your GM towards this. If you plan on running it, we'll be reviewing some of the tips. So right off the bat, as we mentioned, there's a couple problems there if you don't have a scout. But if you have a scout, here's the great way to get their ship rather than just starting out. Okay, here's a ship. No, here is the way to get that ship, and you're going to make an adventure out of it. Now, also starting out is they cover the Bowman Arm, which has a nice partial sector map, and I highly recommend anybody running Traveler to look at the travelermap.org. And if you look at that, that is a complete 3D breakdown of all the star systems in Traveler to date. And so you can use that with this. So that is a good resource if you've got the access online to where you're playing. You can pull that up and get the routes here. But nonetheless, this is in the Spinward uh, area between the Sword Worlds and District 268. So it gives a brief, it gives a tier at the start, and then it covers the world of Walston, which where you'll be, the main scope of the adventure starts on. Yeah, and may I just say that uh, with regard to Walston, uh, man, it makes the sticks look like New York City, okay? Yeah. Um. <laughs> um, uh, it is the space boonies. Yeah, it's a fringe world, and it deserves to be in the sword arm of this territory because it's kind of a wild frontier area. And so this place has a large body of uh, standing water, seas and they provide a lot of fish and so that's pretty much what they produce fish and some products of the fishing industry so there's several settlements that are named in through here but pretty much the gazetteer to walston as well describes it as well 
as the economic data. There isn't much military, although in this one, it's uh, since it's a tech level eight, small arms and vehicles are, uh, that's it, that's what they're limited to, and most travelers arriving through the Starport Customs are going to be regulated to just a knife for personal defense. Yeah, there will not have no toting the long guns around town. However, if you were like our party, you can make some bribery rolls, which is a good place for those characters with high streetwise and bribery skills to make use of it. Yeah, flaunting their... Well, I mean, I suppose also, uh, if I were being generous as a DM, uh, an administration role to convince a bureaucrat uh, that, you know, as a addendum to you know, performing this for the scout service, uh, you know, you, you might be permitted to retain some firearms. Uh, you know, also a viable choice. Uh, but, again, you know, reminding the player characters that in every world they travel to, the rules differ ever so slightly, uh, depending on the requirements of, of that particular location. So, you know, oftentimes travelers will find themselves with terrific tech access uh, from the other worlds they've been to, which are completely restricted on the world they've just arrived at. Right. and Not that, an uncommon problem in Traveler. So having well-armed travelers walking around with battle dress and tack nuke launchers is not going to happen on this one. But, no. again, we're getting to a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah, Clayton, but, the car, how do the characters get to Walston? And, of course... Presumably, they're going to take a transport, and the transport to Walston is provided at whatever starport. They provide Flamian, but any other place can be used. Oh, yes, Flamarian. Flamarian, excuse me. Flamarian Highport is where nominally the adventure begins, where you're contacted presumably through the ex-scout or or former scout. They're not ex-scouts. They're just no longer employed. <laughs> is that what the week you're using Ah, uh, yeah, the, uh, they have been descouted. Yeah, so, you know, hitting out the bars and other facilities, probably uh, the travelers, as they're first getting together, this is a good place to... You probably, as it, they don't provide a good place for this, but this is a, a prime opportunity for the Game Master to flex their own creativity and describe uh, Flamerian Highport and create a bar or an area that they can kind of meet in. You meet in a tavern, or you meet in a bar. Well, wherever you do, uh, you're basically in a high port area, and this is presumably where you get the hook that the players want to go to Walston to go retrieve their presumably new ship. And at least Flamarian is reputable, okay? This isn't, uh, you know, a greater hive of scum and villainy and yeah. cannot be found. Uh, not that kind of scenario. This is a much more professional atmosphere where it is entirely legitimate for characters to make the acquaintance of... Yeah, uh, people could be mustering out of their previous careers and yeah. services, and they end up here, and now they decide to come here. And they provide the character Mr. Anders Kassari of the Scout Service in the uh, has an office in the high port, and he has a proposition, of course, and that gets the players involved. And again, going back to our earlier discussion, if you don't have a scout or... the characters already have their own ship and they want to go there, their travel can be expedited by their own vessel. And so you want to make some differences in changes in the adventure in that. And it's perfectly legit because it's not going to really change anything. Not much happens. Nah. 
Um, they're basically offered about a thousand credits each for incidental expenses during their travel time, and of course, presumably getting either the salvage or materials from the ship. And they have also some terms and services that have to be provided by the Scout Corps. They have to sign a one-year lease of the ship, which is standard for most Scout services on detached duties that for one year you can bring back several of uh, the or several of the player characters for another mission on behalf of the scout service which they have to provide on their own so it's presuming that the travelers accept the mission and here's where one of the cruxes of these introductory scenarios come in what if the travelers don't want to do this well that is a particular problem with many beginning adventures where you have to look at making sure that the character is invested. If they don't have a ship, or presumably they are the uh, mustered-out scouts getting their ship, this is a prime example of how to make what would normally be a process of just, okay, here's your scout ship, and here's the stats for it, and starting the adventure from here, and finding a way for them to get involved in whatever it is that they want to do as travelers. Now, in this case, if they decide that they don't want to take this job, well, you can kind of say, well, I guess that's so much for this adventure, and go and create your own and start moving on. But particularly here, the as Mike alluded to from the start, even if you have a free trader with a pretty decent amount of cash to start trading, they can start their careers trading on this with also garnering a fair collection of salvage for bringing the ship back to the scout service. Uh, yeah, the... The good graces of the scout service are well worth obtaining. Uh, you know, not every survey uh, goes incredibly well in Traveler. Or at least when I was DMing Traveler years ago, as I wrote it, uh, all kinds. It, you would rarely be tendered an offer from military people. Okay, that you know, they have that covered for themselves. The scout service, on the other hand, and the uh, you know merchant traders, they have a much freer hand with who is hired to do what, and encouraging the players to interact with various persons that you have you know spiced up this sector with uh, means that very much in the. I, I hate to use a, an obscure reference, but in Hardwired, they had what were called third men. Yeah. Uh, in the, the, the novel Hardwired by Walter John Williams, a third man was essentially a booking agent that, you know, they had cargo and people received the opportunity right. to may, be the person to deliver that cargo. Uh, and so the third parties, it was important to remain in their good graces, to build connections, to build a reputation. So... Encouraging player characters who may not be interested in, you know, the initial idea that, hey, currying favor is an important part of building a mercantile career uh, right. or a reputation as an explorer. Yeah, and in this module, uh, it's presumed at this point if you haven't been able to entice them that, well, maybe start uh, rolling up. Uh, some of the trade routes along and try to entice the players into going to Walston overall on behalf of not just the scout service, but perhaps on the trail of some of the NPCs that are hinted at in this uh, adventure. Now, first of all, they also provide uh, passage for the players, for the travelers, the neophytes, on a far trader called Autumn Gold. And 
It's under the captain of Michelle Corelli. And it's about past Walston, but it is going to stop there with drop-offs at each one. So, as the Autumn Gold is not a scout service ship, but, again, affiliated with the scouts for years, they'll take on the travelers and give them transport. And, of course, this is all handled off board, but you can make it as detailed as you want, giving the players time to interact with the crew or gain good contacts with another bar trader. So they're a mixed sort of traders. Some are ex-Navy and scouts or former employees of the mercantile line. And they've signed on for this job and, uh, you know, you can detail those as much as you want. Perhaps they will return as player characters or uh, NPCs or contacts later on. But after they make uh, the jumps, they're going to make their way over finally to Walston. And then from Walston, you make Planetfall. And that's where you first get your first taste of Walston. So now we're going to get at the area in between the Planetfall and your first grasp if you have Varger aboard this uh, Traveler crew starting out, this is the place where you get to introduce one of Walston's small notes is that they have a passive racism against Varger here because they're near the Sword Worlds and the Sword Worlds are yeah, a history of some conflict means that... The Varger pirates have been active in here for some time and some people feel that the Varger are not very trustworthy and having that as an active issue, if you have a Varger player, uh, you know, specific instructions are given here how to handle uh, the existing passive racism in Walston. And I thought the instructions were interesting uh, because, you know, while it does specify passive, you know, there, there is no overt, uh, you know, attacks, things like that. Uh, it's not intended to be a scenario that instantly descends into, you know, extreme hostility. Uh, it's more like perpetually being ignored and left out of the conversation intentionally. Uh, you know, Varger are just not treated with the respect that they would normally you know, accord any other person. Uh, and I thought it was an interesting facet uh, for a module that this is a social obstacle that they have placed uh, that will only really have a serious impact if the players include a Varger or are, you know, extremely hostile to people behaving that way to the, the local Varger population. Right, and a note, content warning on this as the talk of racism comes out, is it's not meant to imply that people don't have uh, freedom to play the Varger or the Varger will be attacked, but... As Mike said, it's a passive sort, and it's clear that the inhabitants here at Walston do not appreciate Varger, although there is a significant population of a planet, if you can call it that, of a planet of just about 3,000 inhabitants. Yeah, very, very small settlements are in place on Walston. So, uh, you know, even under the, the worst of circumstances, the, even the crowded areas seem a little thin. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that said... Uh, it's, in this case, it's treated as a social obstacle, uh, something that the players will witness or perhaps have to interact with and overcome, uh, which I, I find fascinating. I, I think that it was a very candid way to treat it uh, without being particularly sensationalistic. Yeah, it, and if this sort of thing isn't your cup of tea, it can be easily ignored. Yeah. They didn't write it hard, write it in that you have to follow this parameter. 
yeah, this is not a major plot point uh, for Planet Fall at Walston. Yeah, but it introduces some of the complications that will come up later in, uh, presumably, if you play these uh, in succession. So they give a good map of Walston Star Town, which you then have to go and do some investigation. And pretty much the footwork here is pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of duplicity or deception. And, of course, the criminal element here is very low-key. There is some smuggling that goes on, so if you have an inclination to do a little uh, smuggling, and especially if you're using the previous hook of a non-scout or a previously acquired ship using uh, coming into this adventure, this is where you can apply some of your trading skills if you want to use some streetwise or broker skills to get a little extra cash. But it also helps to use these skills to speed along unraveling how things, you know, I mean, the players do not arrive knowing exactly what happened to the scout ship. They know roughly what planet it's on and the general, you know, the portion of the planet that it will be located on. But they don't know how it got there or what's wrong with it or what to prepare for. So getting the rest of that information, I, I believe... Uh, again, this is a very social challenge where uh, you've got to do the legwork, ask a lot of questions, and it's not that people are being invasive, but uh, you can unravel the story, and honestly, they'll have a much better chance of swiftly and safely recovering the high and dry if they do the legwork first and ask a lot of questions uh, and get very specific. So encouraging the players to interact and get as much information as possible. Strong choice for the DM. All right, and you can find out that for the most part, the locals are friendly. And there's very little sign of the supposed oppression of the Varga. So when you get into the town and the Port Authority offices, presumably where the characters will start their investigation, but this is another opportunity for the game master to stretch their wings, stat out a few places where the players might go to get secondary sources of information should they choose not to go to the port authority always be nimble and on your feet as a game master so this is a good place for you to drum up a couple encounters with the natives and maybe see somebody who's like the stevedores or the workers who are offloading cargo they can give some idea because in here you can learn that the uh, high and dry was crewed by a bunch of loudmouth jerks and they have ended up getting themselves in trouble with legal authorities. They left the high and dry here and went off planet. And now it's found out that they are incarcerated on another planet for breaking imperial law. Yes. Uh, you know, they did not take good care of the ship in the first place. I mean, it was barely fit to fly. Uh, and when it broke down, they just packed up and split hooked it to the starport and took off for parts unknown rather than face the scout service asking, so uh, what happened to that ship? <laughs> yeah, and if you, the players are particularly inquisitive, they can find out that they're on Karlovog, which is another uh, in, near system, civilized world where, of course, they have presumably run awry of the local inhabitants. So at the area... That they're in, uh, that they make Planetfall from, and they're in Lowport at the Star Town. There's a rail line that goes through here, and it's of course a clunky 
industrial age engine of steam and it runs a rail that goes up and down the coast and you can find out various facts but at this time I would suggest having the player characters have a little bit more of the local color perhaps a barroom brawl that doesn't end up with blades or pistols drawn depending on how you make your smuggling roll but get invested into the uh, nature of the people they're very hard scrabble and independent Think and also wear a lot of kilts so that's a thing Think an Alaskan mining town, but vaguely Scottish. Yes. You know, uh, and there are some creatures native to Walston, uh, one of which is just adorable and harmless, uh, but a couple of others which are less so. Uh, one of them being the, you know, it, yep. since their fishing industry is <coughs> uh, not... I, I wouldn't use the word nascent. Uh, it, it's more like uh, an entrenched part of their life. Uh, that's their major source of income and trade here. Deadliest catch. <laughs> Traveler yeah. edition. Yeah, they have the Alders Alderston's Coastal Hunter and the Deepwater Bracar, which probably the player characters won't encounter, but hey, every uh, critter on another world is some usefulness. That can be repurposed on another adventure some other day. So we always appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, uh, you know, if you, <laughs> I mean, you never know. A player may want to be like, uh, you know, Bassmaster, Traveler Edition. Uh, it's theoretically possible, and they've placed it in here. Uh, but certainly it lends itself to giving good fish stories from the locals. Like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't believe what you know, nearly capsized my vessel. Uh, that kind of tall tale telling is the stuff they'll run into. That said, yeah, there are not a lot of natural threats on Walston. So, you yeah, know. players uh, will normally be told that they can have nothing more than knives. That's just everything is going to be put into customs, and there's a nominal fee to retrieve them later. But uh, they'll be held in safety when they're ready to, and returned when they're ready to depart. Nonetheless, uh, player characters will want to, as a game master, you want to get the players headed towards Central Lake where the dictator in chief and his minister are residing now of course some of the players may want to get a hold of the uh, dictator but they're told immediately that that's uh he's obviously busy and doing important work dealing with the <laughs> dictator masterson <coughs> and his family are located at central lake which is one of the larger it's a rail hub of the entire area so basically just a small electric motive and a couple carriages or two and a couple freight cars attached and the player characters are off and seeing the scenic space of Walson, which is described as drab, dreary, and repetitive. <laughs> so there's not much to see there, but you can again spice up the travel time with a little bit of tall tales by the many fisher folk moving from one area to another. But finally get to Central Lake and then uh, presumably they'll be up with down with visiting the dictator, uh, Master, Master Turton, excuse me. I want to put an extra S in there. And uh, when they arrive there, they'll be met, met by Minister Greener, who will tell them about, fill them in on any details they may have missed about the crew, how they left them literally high and dry without <laughs> fulfilling their previous obligations that they're paid to do. So Minister Greener has a proposition for them, and besides just getting their ship, and providing them a transport to the site, which is on top of an extinct volcano. He wants the characters to do a small survey mission and will pay them for their time. 
yeah, this is a yet another opportunity to glean a little bit of income while they perform the task that is already set for them. So it winds up being, you know, it, it, it gets the immediate impression of being, hey, an extra perk, we pick up a little extra funds, you know, this mission just got that much more profitable. Uh, get the ship up and operational, and then use it to complete a geo survey uh, of the immediate area. Yeah, and this will require climbing up to the mountain and doing a small geo survey with some demolition charges, presumably sending the sensor data or using the ship sensors to correlate the data from the demolition sensors placed at strategic points around the mountain. But uh, that will get us into the main some of the adventure. Now, up to this point, you may say that this is pretty dull. It hasn't seemed like there's much opportunity for fighting or combat, mostly social skill and a little bit of legwork and perhaps some bribery. Now, this is where when we mentioned that one of the criticisms uh, that could be made about this module, uh, the earlier portions of it are not extremely exciting. They are not action-packed. Uh, there's a bit of intrigue, uh, a little bit of, you know, barter town, you know, chatting people up. But there's a shortage of risk. You know, so one is left with the impression that this module is lacking in real challenges. That comes to a fairly sudden halt, uh, although not in the way people might expect. Yes, and during this time, is presumably the player characters are building up contacts, generating a little bit of goodwill, or perhaps ill will, and perhaps if you have a Varger in amongst the group, they will be simmering at, with some of the treatment they've been receiving at the hands of the natives. Folk inside Matt, uh, Walston's area, but during this time, as a game master, you're, what you're really doing is building a slow boil. Slowly increase the tension. And how you do this is by the climb. And that's what we're going to be talking about going into next is that the climb, there's many ways to get through it. Getting up to it's on top of a mountain. Yeah, they parked it up on top of a mountain and left it there in the middle of a crater lake. And so the players have to climb a very high altitude in an already oxygen poor world. And speaking of oxygen poor, I'm starting to get dizzy. And, oh, oh what, what's happening? I feel like oh, I'm failing man. a saving throw. Is oh. oh, no. And the arcane eye fixes its eldritch gaze upon you once again. And you are forced to look at some projects from around the interweb for gamers. And this week, the arcane eye focuses its gaze on a project from Etsy. From Roll With It. And, of course, on Etsy.com, you can find Roll With It as they make very high-quality miniatures for your gaming tabletop. And, presumably, if you need some off-casts of kobolds and some others, give them a look. They are on Etsy.com and Roll With It, and you can find that they have some spectacular dragons. It's almost a shame that they're not getting more publicity, because these are top-quality. If you need a great named dragon or... Yomergern, the great Viking worm of legend, it's right here. And yeah. these guys are doing a bang-up job of putting out some quality product for very affordable prices for your tabletop. So if you're in a need for or wanting some great dragons or off-cast miniatures, alternate casts, 
look up Roll With It. And make sure that uh, you check them out on their Etsy page. <laughs> but I cast thee out, O Arcanine. Yeah, your saving throw I, is made and you I are released. Thee. You're released from the Eldritch Gates of the Arcane Eye. And oh, sweet relief. Uh, oh. Back back to our normal. I don't like it there. It scares me. So in high and dry, back to it. Uh, during this time, presumably the clerics have, uh, the travelers have made good contact with Minister Greener, and now they're on their way up to Mount Saluri, which is along the southern coast of the main continent that the characters are finding themselves residing in to get not only their wayward scout ship, or soon-to-be uh, salvage scout ship, from on top of a volcano that's been left dormant. But Minister Greener also gives the ominous warning that there, there was an Imperial surveyor that came through. And this is where you use the tension to start ratcheting up. About a year ago, the Imperial geologist came through and said the volcano was not likely to go active anytime soon. Perhaps maybe 100, maybe 200 years from now, you could be looking at some serious activity. But all signs, including minor earthquakes and steam releases, have been pretty inconsequential. Yeah, it, just it feels that it's just minor tremors and small uh, caldera activity. Yeah, explainable volcanic phenomena. Things that, you know, would be typical for a volcanically active region, uh, but they're not evidence that that particular volcano is, uh, you know, due for imminent eruption. So, yeah, the, the signals are mixed. The DM is effectively just placing a little warning tag. Uh, yeah, the Imperial Geologist, if they ask Minister Greener, he'll explain to them over calf or soy calf or whatever drink you want to use, future coffee. <laughs> then he'll tell, explain that yeah, the uh, geologist was just passing through and didn't have time to do an accurate survey or an in-depth one. And so Minister Greener, in service to dictator Marsteren is now wanting to fill in those gaps and provide a clearer picture for future planning. Nonetheless, the players probably aren't going to be bothered with this. They're going to probably hand wave it off. But, like Mike says, a precursor. And so it goes that <laughs> the players will have to will be driven up to the side by a local in a small ATV, all-terrain vehicle, that uh, will take them up to about... About 8,000 feet, and then they're going to have to hoof it all the way up. So this is we're going to require some physical activity. No Sherpas, okay? You like no, you you can have base camp, but there is no team assisting your ascent. You're on your own for this one. And here you see nature as the enemy, ah, the real opponent that the players will face in high and dry is the environment, ah, the climate, and the circumstances. Yeah, and the players have, uh, the travelers have presumably prepared themselves adequately, knowing that there will be, they've acclimated themselves throughout their trip on the autumn gold by the captain lowering the atmosphere to accumulate them in their cabins to the new world. It's pretty common procedure in traveler, but it's something that not everybody talks about. So it's one of those little flavor points that you can bring up. But if they had been preparing and been listening, They'll be well prepared for this by having rebreathers and, or even using some of their lighter vac suits to uh, make the climb and the ascent easier. 
but it's still going to require a lot of rolling. So again, I would suggest to most game masters, rather than rolling out everything, just detail the trip in its entirety. It's probably going to take roughly a day or two to make the full climb with good rolls. And rather than punishing the players with perilous, perilous falls off of precipitous cliffs, rather than that doing all that, just make the delay the uh, eventual ascent by a day or two if they have made no forward progress and rewarding high, uh, higher roles with moving the story faster. But however you end up doing it, at this point you're going to slowly start increasing the tension. And by doing this, not catching the players, giving them like ominous quakes or this, but doing stuff like the ground is strangely warmer. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Yellowstone Park. Yeah, it's warmer and explain to the player characters who make their science geology or planetology roles that they'll this would be normal for a volcanic area like having hot springs or such things like that but let the players make of it what they will as the travelers make their ascent and eventually get up into the crater probably your first potential of combat is going to be coming up and so they're going to have to find a way to get across the lake and so they can take various ways or means because they have parked their, or landed their ship, the previous crew of the High and Dry have landed their ship inside the crater lake on a small island in the middle of it. So how the players are going to get across is up to them. And so that's another obstacle. And I would also say that if players had been fortuitous enough to ask Minister Greener about having a survey from an earlier, or by looking down to where the ship was going to be placed, they might have been able to get a couple inflatable wraps and make their way across. If they haven't done so already, also suggest it for Minister Greener that maybe they can provide a few wraps for a nominal fee. Yeah, if you've got six players, then uh, you know three very small rafts should be sufficient. Yeah, this is tech level where such things can be broken down pretty easily to easy or at least portable packages. So nobody's humping, you know, 180 pounds of rubber so that they can inflate it with two 200-pound tanks. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, good luck with that. Uh, we're a little bit beyond that now, but, yeah, that's SEAL Team stuff, inflating their Zodiac boats on the side. But Not so much. Yeah, you're not going to be looking for the high-end stuff. You're just going to be looking stuff to get you across, which, you know, can be carried in a small suitcase-sized backpack by a couple of stronger player characters to make their ascent a little easier on the rest of them. Now, this time is getting across... This is where you use a little bit of spooky stuff as you start to get close to the island. I would recommend setting the tone with a couple of perception rolls and not telling the players what exactly they experience it from. As they do recon, uh, is primarily the skill you want to be using, using those recon rolls to build a little bit of tension as they spot something moving around in the brush and the shadows of the ship. And when the players finally arrive, they finally find the high and dry, and boy, is it in bad repair. Almost everything of value that's portable has been pulled out of it, which means that they're going to have to pull into the ship stores to replace everything, thus denuding the ship of its uh, durability in long-term space travel, which means yeah. that they're going to have to refurbish the ship completely from the ground up. There will be no easy jumps, uh, you know, as it is... Uh uh, to give a comparative explanation for non-traveler players, you know, this is uh, impulse power only, okay? Uh, no warp speed. You, 
you get this thing operational, you get it up and running again, uh, the best you can hope for is to be able to use it vehicularly for short system hops, you know, no jumping system to system, uh, without major repairs in a qualified starport first. Yeah, it's in dire need of an overhaul and refurbishment, which, of course, the Scout Corps is more than willing to pay for. Nonetheless, the players are going to have a task in front of them, getting the ship up and running. And this is really going to, again, require a, a series of roles, mostly engineering, but also just leg, or, uh, excuse me, man hours of replacing old parts and rewiring. So, again, pretty small stuff. But that spooky element, if the players are seemingly bored or seeming disinterested in it, this is a good time to run a... An encounter with the only real threat that the players are going to face on this planet so far. And that is, the previous occupant is one of a wolf breed. Yeah, something in the canine family, a uh, pouncer class creature, uh, that had been tamed by a previous crew member. And, you know, rather callously was simply abandoned and left behind on its own. Yeah, and, is re and so if they're looking around the hold and it's all unpowered and on emergency power only, as their players are taking stock of what the ship requires in maintenance and engineering to get running again, this is where you would want to have it suddenly dart out and attack one of the players in an effort to get to a hatch. Not spending a great deal of time savaging somebody, but just only attacking in basic defense of getting out. Or, perhaps if a player is outside doing something, puttering around one of the intakes or some of the uh, engine uh, ports, it's a good time to get attacked by the pouncer. And yeah, Cujo! <laughs> now, however you want to pronounce it, you know, it could be a combat, it could be a fight, where uh, potentially one of the travelers could be placed in great peril, being often uh, alone and mostly unarmed. Or it could be a simple encounter of trying to tame the creature, which AP provided with food and a little bit of coaxing and a couple of uh, careful rolls, the creature could become a potential pet for players later on. Since it is semi-domesticated and is used to the contact, but it's called Talshir's Wolf and it moves pretty, behaves pretty much like a, a wolf would in most circumstances, except this one is particularly starved and is confused and rather afraid of the things that are happening. Yeah, it's been abandoned on a ship for quite some time. Uh, you know, it's just famished. So the initial threat is that if somebody were to encounter it alone uh, and respond hostilely to, you know, its menacing growl and approach... Uh, or yeah. being surprised in the hold... Yeah, it, it could turn ugly very quickly. Yeah, uh, especially if they corner it. But presumably after dealing with that threat, it'll release some tension. And finally, you can uh, the players will probably turn their attention after getting the ship high and dry. They find that it's, a it's in terrible shape. Almost everything is worn out. It has sharp corners or has been frayed and duct taped up. It's just not in a great it was not well taken care of, and it was not appreciated. Held so. together with spit and baling twine. And hope. <laughs> but when the players begin to, to fulfill their uh, obligations, hopefully to Minister Greener, to start providing some of these surveys by using the demolition charges, planning the, around the various areas of the crater, they'll become quite 
interesting to notice that the lake level has been slowly going down while they've been there. <laughs> and then there's a couple, then you can start playing a couple of the ominous tremors. And it's during this correlation of data that the players begin to find out that not only is the volcano active, but it's in danger of erupting as some of the water has been draining down through the fissures and lava tubes down to the main part of the caldera where there is a magma plug and pressure is building steam pressure and it's about to go off yeah at the the event that wasn't supposed to happen for a very lengthy period of time uh you know unbeknownst to anybody the drainage of the lake uh is the culprit here okay the the water draining down into the caldera is what is creating this imminent eruption threat uh, so now the pressure is on the minute the players discover that that oh my god we have to finish the repairs get airborne and get out of here you know? yep and so this is where you start ratcheting up the tension they may decide to get a hold of minister greener and alert the dictator Masterin about the upcoming eruption and of course get themselves out of there with their ship intact and so this can add a lot to tension to making these rolls and how difficult it is to get a ship like this going so hopefully with a couple of lucky rolls the players will be able to get the ship up and out of the area and timing is everything here if the players roll exceptionally well you can speed up the amount of eruptions and also warning signs that the lake is draining and then there's a large earthquake and then suddenly a deep rumbling inside the fissure itself giving the players just minutes to get the ship up and going before everything goes up in a plume of smoke and flame and of course that'll happen and the players will hopefully have their ship up and going and then a set of circumstances from rescue missions of a nearby town as the whole side of the volcano goes completely off in the initial eruption and then subsequent eruptions send a lava flow to the sea but then it's found that a pyroclastic cloud is headed towards one of the smaller settlements on the far side of the coast and that point dictator Masteron gets a hold of the travelers and asks them to aid in the evacuation He's sending a train and everything he can, but there are some outlying communities that are slower in responding. And so the civil defense grid is completely overworked. There is no planet-wide data net to speak of to give these kind of warnings. And there's only a, a cursory radio and telecommunications grid with which to offer these warnings. And since there was no advance warning this was going to happen, it's all sudden. But this is where the players get to see Dictator Masterin in action and he is leading the relief effort and evacuation personally and so this culminates into a wild dash to get down to one of the settlements get everybody aboard which there are a few people who are dickering and of course there's also a tension potential of having what we did a missing child oh that has to be found yes always the exciting i mean that's that's a great hook right there because you know who is going to go Ah, forget it. It's just a kid. They haven't even had it that long. They can't be that attached to it. You know. Oh. Yes. <laughs> that cruelty <laughs> aside, humanitarian effort becomes important here. And then you hear, uh, just as the player characters have got everybody aboard and presumably found the missing child, 
and they're ready to get out before the pyroclastic cloud hits. They hear a broadcast from the dictator's limo where from a Varger went to retrieve some of her family members on the far side of the area, well away from the rest of the planet's population on the small settlement. She had went to go get them, her dame and sire, uh, which in Varger community is their mother and father, is uh, we're trying, we're late in getting evacuated, so she has taken the dictator's limo, which is a grab vehicle, and is racing ahead of the pyroclastic cloud with her dame and sire aboard. And you have, the travelers have a choice to make. Do they risk endangering the few settlers who are left behind that they just rescued, and themselves to rescue just a few people? Just three lone souls. Or do they endanger themselves and everyone just to get them? And so that's a moral choice that the travelers will have to live with. And what the outcome of that sets the tone for further adventures on Walston and this planet later on. Providing the travelers with a memorable experience that makes Walston more than just a drab, dreary world. And by way of comparison, you know, I would say that... Uh, you the more heroic their actions are in this, uh, the greater the reputation they'll have later in campaign play. Uh, and, you know, just imagine for a moment Firefly, you know, the hero of Canton, a man they called Jane, you know, people mm -hmm. singing their praises, like, hey, I heard about you. Aren't you the people that rescued all those folks when that volcano went off? You know, that's the kind of reputation they can build, uh, which the reputation itself is a kind of currency. So, you know, as I mentioned much earlier you know the power of that is not to be underestimated uh, not everything is just raw profit and credits it is also the connections you make and the level of trust and confidence that people have in you well uh, dictator master may seem like a petty noble and well truthfully he is gratitude of even a petty noble can be useful later on whether you're doing free trading or you're needing a place to hide out <laughs> yeah, having at least one place to uh, hole up and lick your wounds is never a bad arrangement. Okay. Now, presuming the player, whatever choices they make, the travelers will ostensibly get their ship, the high and dry, or the salvage from it. And if they keep their ship, it'll be refurbished by the scout service or the scout corps and then put back into full fit and fine pedal for line duty once again. At no cost to the players, of course. Which but, is a huge benefit, not to be underestimated. But the former crew will factor in in later adventures. So just keep in mind that they will be upset that their ship is gone. Oh, man. I'm totally going to get back to that. Oh, yep. Man. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't like a, what you'd call a firm plan. <laughs> so through this, we've tried to keep it pretty focused on what this adventure offers and some of the small ways you can perk it up, and how to pace it. But This you know. is meant to be an introductory adventure. So the criticism that, uh, you know, it, it lacks punch, uh, it may have merit, but you've also got to remember the purpose of this module. This is a warm-up with the assumption that many people will not have experienced the Traveler universe, and this is a terrific way to walk them into the shallow end before they're ready to dive in all the way. Right, getting used to using the ship systems, 
the piloting checks, and even using the ship's weapon systems as chunks of debris are raining down on them to shoot down the big parts that are coming at them. Provides an introductory to how to use the ship's systems in a constructive manner. But, again, this is a solid and, I think, very thorough treatment of an introductory adventure into the Traveler universe. And it's also a good way to get players interested and well-developed into the nature of their characters, their former experiences, and how they can work together as a team, which is essential in a game like Traveler, which is potentially skill-driven. There are not any experience points rolls. There is, I personally use the learn something rule, which is if you roll double ones or double sixes on the Traveler dice, you mark that skill, and after five such successes, make an education roll, and you up that skill with just a little bit of training. Yeah, right. putting your skills to work, making that pay off, is a terrific DM you know, uh, applied technique. Yeah, it's a little house rule I've had and I've carried with me for a number of years. But nonetheless, however you make it work, this is a great uh, adventure, and I really don't uh, see too much problem with it. It can, for some uh, groups that expect more combat, probably be a little bit of a letdown. But if you play the last part well, you can definitely ratchet up the tension. For instance, they had all the time in the world, or the universe, to get this done. And now they have scant moments, less than 30 minutes to do all these tasks in front of them. Yeah, big rush in the ending, uh, high challenge, uh, little rattled nerves, uh, you know, the clock is ticking, and harsh decisions may have to be made. So, you know, hats off to Mongoose. Uh, they did a low combat traveler adventure uh, with, you know, only a moderate level of risk for the players, and the product itself, uh, retailing at $15, is well-priced and attractive, so... Oh yeah, it's a real slick product with a yeah. lot of reusability. It's got the sector map and it's also that can be copied i would suggest making copies of that as well as a couple bestiary en entries for critters to encounter later on in other areas now for the short form of casting the augury before we bid you adieu oh yes we did uh, not cast the augury oh I, i'm about to oh i just want to do the short form version and let people know that uh look forward to call of Cthulhu. uh the Haunting and Mountains of Madness. Mansions of Madness. Or Mansions of Madness. Oh, yeah. Mountains of Madness would almost require a two-parter. But, yeah. yeah, we will bring a little bit of that up. So we'll be covering uh, The Haunting and Mansions of Madness in our next two episodes. So stay yeah. tuned for Call of Flu. Call of Cthulhu two-parter coming up. Right on. So as we're running short on time, we appreciate you giving us a listen. And hopefully you enjoyed. If you have any thoughts about this. Or any comments, of course, you can get a hold of us in all the normal places, especially the Dice is Screaming Facebook page, or get a hold of us directly on Twitter. Either way, we'll appreciate hearing from you, or just uh, send a voice message to the show, and we'll put you on the air next time. So, with that said, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya. <laughs>